everybody tonight? All right. I'm glad you're good. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 20 and 21 tonight. We are continuing uh, working our way through, if you remember what is, uh, at least in the book of Isaiah, called the Oracle of the Nations. And in essence, God is trying to to help Judah, the southern kingdom, learn something that Israel in the north never learned. And that is that if they, have, if they seek their help from the Lord, they're going to be okay. If they seek their help from anywhere else, they're not. Nobody else is going to be able to deliver them. So... Even though, and I want us to understand, even though when the Lord is with them, they're still going to go into captivity. They're going into captivity with the Lord, which is better than going into captivity without Him. Does that make sense? That God's going to be with them, that God's moving, that God's working, still in their midst. And one of the things we're going to learn in this first half of, of Isaiah, we get to about chapter 38, somewhere around there. We're going to see all these lessons that Isaiah has been Telling the people about, trust God, not in the other nations. Trust in God, not in the other nations. And as he continues this message, there's going to be a test. Right? It's like school. It seems like, you ever, you ever have like, I don't know, you're, you're going around town, turn on the radio, and it seems like you keep hearing the same thing over and over again? A song or a message, same theme, same issues. Um, well, there may be a test coming up on that. I think, I think a lot of times God allows us, gives us those opportunities, right, for that word of encouragement to come across uh, our day so that when we face whatever the thing is, right, like if you're, if you're David and you don't know Goliath's coming, but God does. So in David's life, he's out with the sheep and one day he's fighting off a, a mountain lion, another day he's fighting off a bear, right? Maybe if you're David, you say, well, I wonder what that was all about. I'll tell you what it's about. <laughs> There's a giant coming. You guys get what I mean? And so God's moving and he's working in their life. And so the same thing as, as the prophet is telling the nations, hey, watch out, Assyria's coming. Hey, watch out, Assyria's coming. Assyria's going to conquer them all. And the point that God's making to, to Judah is if you run to Egypt for help, I want you to know Egypt's going to get conquered too. If you run to to Babylon for help. Babylon's getting conquered too. If you, wherever you go for help, it's the same, the same thing is taking place. And what we need to understand when we look at it is this common thread going always through the history of man, and that is that man cannot save himself. We always think there'd be a better king, Right? We always think if, if only we get a Republican in office, or maybe you think if only we get a Democrat in office, or maybe you think if only we get a constitutionalist in office, or, or what, if only we would totally become socialist, or if only we would become a communist country. It doesn't make any difference. The equation's the same. Who's in charge? Men. What does man do? Man does what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. Man ain't changed. And when we look at history, especially biblically, we look at history, the one thing they all have in common is no kingdom lasts. No kingdom lasts. 
No kingdom lasts. Until we come to Daniel giving a prophecy about the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, it's eternal. Because the kingdom of God doesn't come with a new political scheme. doesn't come with a new economic scheme. It comes with the ability to change the heart of man. Everybody with me? And the problem with man is man needs his heart changed. We got screwed up hearts. Right? Don't you? I don't know. Maybe you guys don't. But you'd be sitting in church talking about the Bible and have a wicked thought cross through your mind. Or some issue about somebody you hate or somebody you can't stand. Or maybe they came to church that day and you can't believe they just walked in or whatever. All, all of that shows us what the Bible says is true, right? The heart of man is wicked. Wicked. Needs change. So God is telling the nation of Judah, hey, stop looking for salvation everywhere else and come to me. In chapter 38, that's exactly what Judah is going to do. They're going to go to the Lord and he's going to save. Just like when we started the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is wondering, how does this Isaiah become that Isaiah? How does this Israel that's a mess become the Israel that the Bible talks about? How does that happen? Isaiah chapter 6. And in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He has a personal meeting with God, right? And God cleanses him. That's how that Isaiah becomes the one he needs to be. That's how this Jackie becomes the one he needs to be. That's how this nation becomes the nation she needs to be. Because she submits to the sovereign God of the universe. So, we're in the middle of the oracle of the nations. Isaiah chapter 20, the first one we're going to talk about, Isaiah chapter 20, is dealing with Egypt. Let's take a look at it. The folly of trusting in Egypt. It says... Now in the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod, fought against it, and captured it. At that time the Lord spoke to Isaiah by the son of Amos, or sorry, spoke by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go, and loose the sackcloth from your waist, take off the sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian, Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. And they will be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope, and of Egypt, their boasts. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped, to whom we fled for help, to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? So we have this message laid out by Isaiah. Now, just so we have a little bit of background. Assyria was on their world conquest tour. Okay, So they're going from nation to nation, conquering nations. They come... To Ashdod. And as they come to Ashdod, they conquer Ashdod. When they would conquer a city, they would take the, the king and, and depose him and put their own king in. Okay? And then they'd leave the nation with their own special king who's supposed to run things while the Assyrians are gone. Uh, uh, Ahamidi was the king who was there. And Yamanu, uh, he became the king. Right around 7-11, like the store. 
So, in 711, this takes place. Well, the problem is, none of the people of Ashdod want to follow him. So they're like, yeah, we don't like this guy. So they take the, the one that Sargon set up, they put another one in. They put their own guy in. That's called rebellion. So Assyria comes back. And when Assyria comes back, it wipes out Ashdod again. They conquer Ashdod again. But the king that they put in place, he just decided to run to Egypt. And so he runs to Egypt because Egypt will protect him, right? So the Assyrian army marched over to Egypt. And, and the Egyptians were looking pretty tough and pretty strong, right? So the Assyrians roll up and the Assyrians say, Hey, send out all those people who ran to you from, from Ashdod or we're going to burn you to the ground. What do you think Egypt did? They sent them all out. Yeah? And when they sent them all out, what happened to them? The Assyrians did what they do to everybody else. Strip them naked and make a parade all the way back home. Somewhere along the way, maybe stick them on a pole. So we have, it, that's the backdrop. That's happening. And the, the, the nation of Judah is thinking about putting their trust in Egypt. And anytime man puts his trust in man, most often we get let down, don't we? Anybody ever been guilty of letting somebody else down? Nobody wants to admit it. Three of us. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. Um, and everybody who didn't raise their hand has let me down because they didn't raise their hand. So now you can all raise them. Anyways, the idea is, right, we've all let somebody down. And so that's the idea. Don't put your trust in that which is going to fail. God wants them to put their trust in him, to put their hope in him. So God asked Isaiah to do a sign act. Did you catch what it was? Yeah. Walk around naked. For how long? That's a long time, no? Yeah? Would that be embarrassing? Now, when we look at what the scripture says, here's what we know. God told Isaiah to do a sign act. That sign act does not demand that he was naked 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. What it does demand is that, well, for example... When Ezekiel, as the prophet of the, of the nation, when they were in exile, would speak, what God would tell him to do is, he, was, he would be mute all week. He wouldn't say nothing to anybody. And then God would give him a message, and he'd go outside his house. And when Ezekiel came outside his house, everybody would come to Ezekiel's house. They'd spread the word, hey, Ezekiel came out, Ezekiel came out. So they all come down to hear what God had to say. And then Ezekiel would either act it out or speak it out. Same way with Isaiah. When Isaiah, there were, there were places he went, places where he would deliver his oracles, right? When he would share uh, whatever God had given him. And so, so let's say that's, um, you know, Wednesday night in, uh, in Israel. So Wednesday night in Israel, Isaiah always goes and stands on this mountain and delivers whatever the, the oracle the Lord has given. Whatever that oracle was for three years, he would do it naked Deliver the message we're going to hear as it was. And the point of the sign act was what? To tell the people, if you put your trust in Israel, this is how you're going to look when Assyria takes you away. This is what's going to happen. These are the events that are going to happen to you if that's what you do. Now, the cool thing for me is that in, for Isaiah, it wasn't a big deal. 
The reason it wasn't a big deal for Isaiah is because he's already committed his heart, soul, and mind to the Lord. And God had saved him, right? Remember Isaiah 6? God had purged him of his sin. God had delivered him. So when God asked Isaiah to do this, Isaiah is like, yeah, you know, whatever you want me to do, Lord. Whatever you want. So he does it. So I don't want us to have the idea that 365 days uh, a year for three years, 24 hours every day that Isaiah was walking around naked. But he was delivering his oracle, whatever point. That could have been multiple times during a week. I don't know. But, but it doesn't demand that he was naked every, every single moment. Everybody tracking? But he was naked whenever he was delivering the oracle. So he's letting the people know. They should know because, right, they just, when they, you know what they do when they march from Egypt back toward Babylon? You know who they have to cross? Israel. Every time. So when the army comes, they go right by him. And when the army comes back, they go right past him again. So it's not like, they don't have CNN. None of this is going on in the news. So when the prophet would tell them, here's what's happening in Ashdod. Here's what's happening to Egypt. And if you put your trust in them, this is what's going to happen to you. That's how God was delivering the message. That's how God's getting the message to them. He wants them to understand what's happening, what's going on in their life. So what's the point? The point of chapter 20. Don't put your trust in Egypt. They'll sell you out. Right? That's not a hard thing for us to grasp, is it? Don't put your hope in man. Man will sell you out. As soon as it's not in their best interest, you're gone. God says, I'm not going to sell you out. If you need discipline, I'm going to give you discipline, but I'll be with you. I won't make a full end. I'll give you the strength you need for the journey. Maybe you don't want that, but if i got to go through cancer, I'd rather go through cancer with God than without Him. No? If i got to go through tragedy, I'd rather go through tragedy with the Lord than without Him. I'd rather have His presence with me, you know, along the way. Today I was on Facebook earlier this morning, and I saw a post by Peter John. Somebody had shared it. I don't remember who had shared it, but... Anyways, Peter John is one of John Corson's sons. He's dying of colon cancer. He's at home on hospice. He's probably mid-late 30s, maybe. Something like that. He's got kids. Um, so he might, he might be a little older than that. But, but um, he is, uh, barring a miracle, going home to be with the Lord. And one of the, he was just writing like a, I don't know if it's a blog or if he posted something, you know, on Facebook. But... He's talking about what a blessing it is in his final days, just being able to spend time with family, hearing his daughter play the piano in the other room, and and he's looking forward to what a glory heaven will be in comparison to you know his last few days on earth. How's he able to do that? Because yeah, God's with him in his illness. That's how. He's not made different than us. So the, the idea is when we go through, if, if we've got to face those things in life, and how many of us have learned that life is hard? Or, or do we honestly think that there's a fairy tale out there somewhere and we could live it? But there's going to be hard things, right? There's going to be difficult things. And God knows where they are. 
He knows where the pitfalls, he knows where the struggles are, and he wants his people to trust him. He's their deliverer. He can get us through, or he can pick us up and carry us over, right? So we want to recognize, we want to understand that. Now the next oracle, chapter 21, is with Babylon. Now at this time, Babylon's little. They're not a big deal yet. But it says, this is the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. That's uh, the wilderness. Whenever you see the word wilderness in the Bible, it's not what you think. The wilderness in the Bible is the desert. That's what they called the wilderness. The children of Israel uh, had 40 years in the... Yeah, they're out in the desert. They're in the wilderness. The wilderness is God forsaken. No water... Right? Nothing out there. The, the, the desert of the sea was a, a title for Babylon. They're in the middle of nowhere, but they are also like the hinge point for trade. If you're going to trade in Egypt, go through Babylon. If you're going to trade in Greece, go through Babylon. Wherever you, everything, all them crossroads kind of pass through Babylon. So they become known as a, the wilderness of the sea, like whirlwinds in the Negev, the desert. They sweep on. So it comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me. So, so Isaiah is saying, I've, I've had this stern vision. I've had this stern idea. And I, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that the nations of the earth are all under the judgment of the God of creation. And are not to be trusted or feared. There's only one thing man should ever fear. Fear God. Don't fear man, nor what man can do to you. They, are, they cannot control your destiny. Right? Jesus would say, fear the one who has the power over death. The power to decide where you spend eternity, right? That's the one that should be feared. So the oracle concerning the wilderness is a sea. Um, look what he says about man. A stern vision is told me. The traitor betrays, the destroyer destroys. You guys kind of get what he's saying? We just do what's in our nature. What's in our nature? Betrayal. Destruction. Well, let me ask you, what are we doing to the earth? Is it better for having us on it or worse? Right? I think no matter what you believe about any of the things about global warming or any of that stuff, it doesn't make any difference. Is it better or worse for having man on it? I, I don't know. I, I have been places in Europe so beautiful. You, I mean, I've never seen green greener than uh than in england and then you go to the river what, what the the thames river there and uh it's just full of muck you go in the united states any of the big cities mississippi river or missouri and you look at it and and they're trashed they're just full of junk garbage right stuff and whenever I look at that, I think, uh, what, what, what would it be like if man wasn't here? Well, them Coke bottles wouldn't be floating down the river right now. 
You guys get what I'm saying? What does man do? The, the traitor is a traitor. The destroyer is a destroyer. This, they do what is in their nature, what comes naturally to man. What did we learn about the kingdoms of men in the visions of Daniel? What do the kingdoms of men do? The same thing. What, what happens in boxing when you have a world champion? Does he stay world champion forever? How come? What happens to the bully on the block? How come the bully on the block doesn't always stay the same guy? Because sooner or later, somebody says, I think I can take him. Right? For, for, for the first year or two years, everybody's afraid of Tyson. Then pretty soon, you know, he goes to Japan or wherever, gets knocked down. Was it Buster Douglas that beat him the first time? Yeah. And I, didn't even, I didn't even buy the fight because I was so tired of watching him knock people out. And then I heard the next morning he lost. He what? You remember? What happens to the kingdoms of man is just like that. You have this great kingdom and then another kingdom comes on. They fight. Somebody wins, somebody loses, yeah? Isn't that the history of man? Battle after battle after battle, fight after fight after fight. The traitor is a traitor. The destroyer is a destroyer. And the kingdoms of men fall. What is the point of all that? Why is God saying that over and over again? Stop trusting in that. I know people who election time get themselves so wrapped around the axle, like this is going to be it, right? And, and I try not to be a cynic. But I got a lot of cynicism. I don't believe any of them. Because I think they're like me. And I have, I have a desire to do well. Don't you? I don't usually wake up in the morning and say, you know what I want to do today? I want to really offend somebody today. That's my goal. If I did that, my days would be more successful. I, I'm going to get up this morning and offend somebody. <laughs> Are you writing that in your notes, babe? <laughs> so... The, but the reality is, it's not our, that's not our goal, but it's what happens, right? We do something, say something, you know, sometimes I'm just driving down the road. I'm not thinking, I do something dumb, pull out in front of somebody and made somebody mad, right? Did I offend them? Yeah, they're, they're using words maybe they haven't used for a while. Shaking fists out the window, whatever. And I'm like, oh, didn't mean to do that, but that's what we do. That's our nature, isn't it? We try to do better. Paul would even write in Romans. He would say, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. I'm trying to do them, but I messed them up. Isn't that what he said? Who saves me from this body of death? He said, I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ who's able to deliver me. Just like he delivered Isaiah. But the key is, I don't put my trust in, oh, I know, if I went to school... And they taught me how to be a better driver. I'd never cut anybody off. Or if I went to school about not being offensive, you know, not being sarcastic, it'd get all my sarcasm out. If that existed, my, I guarantee you my wife would have sent me. Yeah? To a special school to have that extracted. Come on, babe. You like my sarcasm? Oh. See, she's just like Jesus. 
He loves me like I am, but he doesn't want to leave me that way. He's the one we want to put our hope on, right? He's the one. That's the idea. So, he says, So go up, O Elam, lay siege, O media. All the sighing she has caused, I bring to an end. So God's saying, look guys, you're, this is what happens. This is the natural progression of man. So he says to Elam, lay a siege to media. Go, go up against them. Well, Elam and media, those are going to be part of that southern Iran. It's going to be part of what will become the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire just happens to be the empire who's going to conquer Babylon when Babylon becomes big. Now right now, none of these guys are big. All these guys are little. But God's saying, hey, Elam, hey, media, you guys, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring her down, Babylon, which isn't even big yet. But God's saying, I can bring her down. But the issue is, it's our nature. It's us behaving according to our nature. And there's a, a thing, there's an attitude that grabs the heart of Isaiah at the at the vision of warfare, more warfare, more bloodshed, more struggle. He's not seeing courage and self-sacrifice and commitment. What's he seeing? Treachery and destruction. That's what he's seeing. And he, and he's, and it's affecting him. So he looks at Elam and Media, those who are part of Persia, that will conquer Babylon in 539. Now we're probably in the 700s now, 711, right? So we're looking at roughly 200 years in the future. God is God knows the 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 end from the beginning, right? So listen to what Isaiah says. He sees a vision of all this battle, all this turmoil, all the behavior of mankind, and he says, "Therefore, my loins are filled with anguish; pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor." I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. See, the prophets are oracles, but they don't glory in the vision. They don't see the vision and then get excited. Oh, get him, God, get him. Because if you really saw what Gidim looks like, you'd lose that too. Because Gidim isn't cool. So he's seeing this. He's seeing now. These aren't. This is not Judah. It's not Israel. This is Babylon. He's seeing uh, under attack by Elam and Media, which is coming two hundred years from now. And, he's, and he says, I can't even walk, I can't even think, I feel terrible, I feel sick. Just watching. That's what it's like to watch the evil that man can do. If it's like that for Isaiah, what's it like for God? To have watched mankind do this for, what, 10,000 years? That's a long time, No. To watch the same mistakes over and over again? Mankind unwilling to put their faith in Him, their trust in Him, submit to Him and find peace? Jesus looking at Jerusalem would say, If only you knew this, your day, the things that make for peace. But they're hidden from your eyes. It's not hidden because they ain't never heard it. You and I have been reading Isaiah. How many times have we heard the same thing? As a parent, how many times you said the same thing to your kids? 
Stop touching that, stop touching that, stop touching that, stop touching that. Yeah? A couple times. When they're little, how many times do you say, don't touch that tot? Don't touch that tot, that tot, that tot, that, that's hot! Yeah. I have watched little two and three year olds that I know, I know they can hear me. Because if I say, Papa's got chocolate, I whisper that. Man, they're running from every corner. I say, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that, it's hot! They all of a sudden, they can't hear none of that. They're reaching out with them little bitty hands to touch a blaze king. What's that going to do? Yep, there will be a print on the side. Eternally. See that little smudge right there? That's where somebody lost their fingerprints. Now they'll be known for the rest of their life as a kid without any. We say the same thing over and over again because we have the same nature. We keep wanting to do the same things. God keeps saying the same stuff. Stop trusting in all these other things and put your hope in me. In 1 Kings 14.6, just a little insight of of a prophet not wanting to, um, uh, or not being excited about the message they have to give. It says, uh, but when uh, Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, this is the wife of Jeroboam, she came in at the door, he said, come in wife of Jeroboam, why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. The one thing that the prophet of God would do was be faithful to say whatever it was that God had shown them. But when it wasn't good news, nobody was excited about it. Here Isaiah's heart is breaking as he looks at the violence of the vision, the pain and the suffering that's going to happen. It's it's racking his body. It says, verse 5, so they prepare the table. Now he's thinking about the vision, right? This vision that made him sick. They prepare the table. They spread the rugs. They eat. They drink. Now, this is him saying to them, Arise, O princes, and oil the shield. What are you doing? You're not getting ready. Well, we know this happened. For in Babylon, remember we're talking about Babylon? There was a fellow named Belshazzar. You remember him? And he decides to throw a party while the Medes and the Persians are outside. And he, he even drinks with the things from the temple. You guys remember? And while they're drinking and partying up, all of a sudden a hand comes out and writes something. The handwriting on the wall, right? Writes something on the wall. Many, many tekel you farsin. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Tonight your kingdom is taken from you. And while they're drinking and partying, instead of getting ready for battle, they are conquered. While the king and the, and the armies are partying. That is exactly what's being described here. They're preparing a table. They spread the rugs. They eat. They drink. Why aren't they getting ready? This is Isaiah watching it. Why aren't you getting ready? For thus the Lord said to me, Go set a watchman and let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently, Then he who saw cried out, Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually all day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights. And behold, here come the riders, horsemen in pairs. And then he answered, 
Now, battle hasn't happened. Just the riders are riding up. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. That ought to sound familiar. Because in Revelation, you have the exact same phrase. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Revelation 18. So he says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Here, battle hasn't happened, but that's how sure it is. And all the carved images of her gods are shattered to the ground. Oh, my thrash and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I tell you. So the oracle goes out. Now, each time that the, the prophet would give an oracle, he'd share whatever the Lord had showed him that time. They'd write it down. He'd deliver it to the people wherever he was. They'd put it on a scroll and send it out. So Babylon gets it. If he if he, he's going to do one here in a minute to Duma, Duma's going to get one. Arabia's going to get one. They deliver them out. And just like we would do today, you know, somebody else reads it, throws it in the fire, right? Ah, that's not going to happen. But God told them. The message goes out. It gets delivered. Don't put your trust in man. Don't put your trust in man. Man always thinks that the bell tolls for someone else. Yeah? Not for me. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were... As well as if a manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me. Because I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. The same thing he's saying to them. He's saying to us. Where's our hope? Where's your trust? Where's your faith? Is it in all this other stuff, all these plans, all these ideas? Are we trusting in an Egypt? Are we trusting in a Babylon? You're trusting in God. You get to decide where you put that. In Isaiah 21.11, he gives a, an oracle to Duma. Now, Duma is part of Arabia. So, <clears throat> the way Babylon would get news, like, hey, let's fight against Assyria... <clears throat> would be through Duma. Uh, Duma would be one of the one of the trading uh, areas that would that would trade through Babylon. So there's an oracle for Duma. Now here the 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 effect. Egypt is is going to be conquered. Babylon's going to be conquered. Duma's going to be. There's nowhere else to go. The oracle concerning Duma. One is calling to me from Seir. That's Edom. Edom. Watchmen. What time of night? Watchman, what time of the night? And the watchman says, morning comes, but also the night. If you will inquire, come back again and inquire. And we say, what? Here's what's going on. There, the, the, the watchman is coming. Uh, the, the messenger is coming to the watchman. And he's saying, what's going on? Now, Seer, 
Edom, they, they trade through Duma. So if Duma falls, Edom has no trade. So Edom is asking the watchman at Judah, what do you see? Is it good news or bad? Good news would be the day. Bad news would be the night. You tracking with me? What's coming on the horizon, good or bad? And ultimately what he says is, I see the day and then the night. So what's he saying? Both's coming. There's a little bit of hope, but there's still doom coming. Doom is still on the horizon. I still see doom. He cannot say there's unequivocal hope. He's saying, I can see some hope and I can see some doom. The morning's coming, right? We say it like this, always darkest right before the dawn, right? It's always darkest right before the dawn. I usually say it's always darkest right before the light goes totally out. And then, if you see a light, it's probably a train. Yeah? So, same kind of thing. I went to the watchman and I asked him, good news or bad news? And he's saying, well... I see a little bit of good. There's hope on the horizon, but I see the doom coming. The morning comes, right? There's a long night, and then the morning comes, but there's night coming right behind that. The idea of of doom coming through Duma. I can't tell you everything I look at is hopeful. There is a night coming, even though the light is about to dawn. Then he gives his attention to Arabia in verse 13. The oracle concerning Arabia and the thickets in Arabia. You will lodge, O caravans of the Dedanites, to the thirsty bring water. Meet the fugitive with bread, O inhabitants of the land of Tima. For they have fled from the swords, from the dawn, uh, from the drawn sword and the bent bow, and from the press of battle. So what's he saying to Arabia? Where are all the refugees going to go? They're going to Arabia. Didn't he say they're all fleeing the sword? Assyria's coming down, conquering, 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 right along the trade route. You guys with me? He's going to conquer this one, conquer this one. It's affecting trade. And the people who are fleeing from the cities are all running down into Arabia. And he's saying, they're all saying, let's go to Arabia can help us. Arabia can help us. Let's go. How's that work out for the Syrians so far? How's it work out for the the people in the Sudan? How's it work for the people in Central America? How's it work? Everybody's running somewhere looking for somebody who can bail them out. Can anybody bail anybody out? I I don't know what your hope is. My hope is I can starve to death in a land that has more markets. So at least I know there's bread over there. I don't have any money to get it. People are always looking for something else to save them. What does the word of God say for them to do? Stop running to man or another kingdom or another place and come to me. Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Where are we supposed to go? To him. We go to him. That's why he would tell Judah, when the refugees come to you, feed them. If they don't have anything, take care of them. Because that's how you were when I found you. Yeah? 
That was, that was your condition when God touched you. Well, these guys are all running to Arabia. Save us <coughs> from the press of the battle. Now, for thus the Lord has said to me, within a year, according to the years of a hired worker, all the glory of Kedar, that's Arabia, will come to an end. So all you refugees who run to Arabia are going to be refugees running somewhere else. Aren't people always running somewhere else? And, and while you may find them, they may find themselves out of the hotbed of war, no matter where they go, they don't, they don't find their condition changed. Right? I was the poor in Sudan, now I'm the poor in Jordan. I'm still the poor. I still got to do the same stuff to get my bread. I still got to feed myself the same way. Did it, did it work better for me to put my trust in Jordan? Or is it better for me to put my trust in the Lord? Elijah, when there was no food, do you know where he went? To the wilderness. The desert. He sat down by a stream that dried up. No water in the stream. Elijah put his back up against a tree and he sat there and he said, Lord, <clears throat> I put my trust in you. Take care of me. The Bible says the Lord sent ravens with food. Is God able to deliver? For sure. If God wants you hungry, what's going to happen? You'd be hungry if there's food all around you. If God wants you to be full, what's going to happen? You'd be full if there ain't no food around you. God knows how to deliver. He knows what I need. Do I know what I need all the time? Anybody ever sure they knew what they needed to find out they were wrong? Or anybody ever thought, you know, if I just had this, this one thing, if I get this, then I'll finally be happy. Come on, Christmas. It's been Christmas. We either heard it or said it to somebody. If I get this. I remember when I was a kid telling my, I'd go tell my mom and dad, if just get me this. Don't have to get me nothing else. I don't need nothing. I just need this. When I was in high school, I all I need in the world is Kathy. If I have Kathy, everything will be okay. Now, this is the end of the story. That wasn't the end. That was not the beginning. The beginning didn't quite go like that. There was some wilderness wanderings in there somewhere. But we all thought, hey, this is the thing. This thing, that thing, when I have this, when I have that, I'll tell you the one thing that will truly satisfy the Lord. He gives me what I need. Learning to be content with what God gives me is my job. But God, He provides. And what He provides is exactly what is necessary in my life. He says no, I promise you, no was right. If He says yes, I promise you, yes was right. Whatever God has. My plans have been good for nothing. I can't even tell you how many people I looked at and said, God can never use them. And God used them. And then other people I looked at and said, God can use them. And God couldn't do nothing with them. 
All that taught me was, oh, maybe I should let God do his job. Let God do what he's going to do. Let God work those things out. I want to I wanna trust in him. So all the glory of Kedar, all of Arabia, they're not going to be able to help anybody. <clears throat> and the remainder of the archers of the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. God says, look, I know the end from the beginning. He's looking down the corridors of time, if we can even fathom that. And he says, this is what's happening. It's going to come. Stop running somewhere else for help and start looking to me. And the cool thing about this book, Isaiah, we're going to be reading about this for a few chapters. Each nation he's challenging this way. In chapter 38, you're going to see him do it right. Now, there's more than 38 chapters in Isaiah. Why? Because that's not the end of the story. Yeah? Here's how to do it right. And then Isaiah is going to change his focus from stop looking at the nations, stop looking at other places to trust, and watch how God's going to deliver the world. Because Isaiah is the one who's going to say, Come, let us reason together. For though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. How? Stay tuned. Isaiah is going to tell us. Put our trust in the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, God, that we have to study your word, to open it. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, God. If there's stuff that we're doing, things that we've placed our trust, areas that we look to, for deliverance, it's not you, God. I pray that you open our eyes to that truth. And uh, Lord, just bring us to a place where we can repent. That's all you're looking for. That for, for me to say to you, you know what, God, you're right. I am doing this. Will you help me? Will you be my strength? Will you be my shield? Will you be my exceedingly great reward? God, I pray that even as you call the nations to obedience to you, that I can recognize what you're saying in each of those nations as you're calling people just like me. Hey, where's your trust at? Put it in me, because all these other things can't save you. <coughs> I thank you, God, that you are our salvation. For you are mighty to save. So God, I just pray you open our eyes to help us see Wonderful things as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.